What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Next Gen Podcast. It's your boy Destiny, aka Griffo Kid, and today I have a very, very special guest today, uh, Mr. Mario, Mr. Marshall James. How are you doing today, Marlon James? My, my bad, Marlon James. Doctor Marlon. Well, my bad. Oh, Doctor, yes, Doctor, Doctor Marlon James. How you doing today? Wonderful, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's a beautiful Wednesday. It's a beautiful Wednesday. It's also career fair today, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we got, you know, look look up, you know, a point, you know, suit ties and all that. That's right. Go yeah, get them jobs. Yeah. Go yes, get them Yes, indeed. Jobs. Indeed. Uh, not, to, uh, not to waste more of your time. Uh, let's get, get started. So, uh, today's topic is your generation and mine. <laughs> So, if you don't mind, could you just tell us a little about your, you know, or your background of your generation and? Oh, from my generation. Yes. All right. Okay. Uh, I was I was born in 1974. So, many people will consider us the hip hop generation, the generation that pioneered the culture of hip hop. I grew up um, listening to the early phases of hip hop and. Uh, seeing all the MC battles and seeing the rise between the East Coast and the West Coast and then seeing the Midwest and the South jump off. But that really influenced my growing up. You know, that's really influenced me as a as a kid growing up. And, you know, I grew up on the South Side of Chicago. Wow. Grew up in the housing projects. Um, when you said housing project, was that, uh, you know, me, for someone like me, I never... Yeah, so... Um, in the 50s and 60s, you had a, a group of African-Americans moving north from the south. Um, that was the second migration of African-Americans from the south to the north, looking for better opportunities in big cities like Chicago, Philadelphia, etc. My mom and my dad, along with many of their brothers and sisters, moved from Louisiana to Chicago in the hopes of finding what what they thought was the promised land, but... What they found is that there weren't many jobs because at the same time, many of the jobs were moving out of the out of the city into, into the suburbs. Okay. Um, the federal government initiated a housing program, and if you can imagine um, high-rise buildings around twenty-five feet, twenty-five stories, and they were also very long, so you may have had fifty families on one floor, and they were stacked. Um, oh wow! First floor through twenty fifth floor, some higher, um, and you had so many families in those facilities. Uh, they weren't well met- maintained. That's that's the key. They were not well maintained. Um, we had to keep our house clean because our mom was very specific. She was very particular, and w- we used to have to really, really clean as kids. Uh, so, you know, we we grew up in a loving family. My mom loved us. Our extended family loved us, but my 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 pops wasn't around, and he was replaced by some men who were not the best examples of black men. Yeah, and so um, I grew up in an abusive home because of him. You know, he he called himself being a, a drug dealer. He was not very good at that, but um, I grew up seeing that, being around that as a kid. My mom tried to keep us out of that, so she um, 
she forced us not to join gangs because she said, I'll beat you up worse than they will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think she was joking. <laughs> no, no, she wasn't joking. She was five foot two, but. Um, five foot two? Five foot two, brother, but dangerous. Dangerous. Damn. Yeah, man. You're like, no, no object. If you did something wrong, you better make sure there was no broom around, no pants around, no nothing, because she would knock you out. But she had five boys, right? Yeah. She had five boys. And imagine that. And one girl growing up in oh, the inner I, city oh. of Chicago. See. She wanted to make sure that despite where we came from and all the things we saw, that we didn't get caught up in, in all those things. Now, you got to remember, 1980s, 1990s was the war on drugs, right? right. And like you saw this rise in gangs throughout, throughout the country, particularly when you think of Chicago. Chicago was divided up racially, and then within that racial divide, the black community was divided up by gang territories. And um, um, she wanted us to avoid all of that. And somehow she wanted us to avoid all that. Yeah. And she she made a study and, and she, you know, things like that. So she, she was very, very strict. I mean, she made us be respectful. But I remember after I got my doctorate degree, she came to me. She's like, Marlon, she said, I'm so proud of you, but... You got to understand as a mom's, I taught you everything that I knew about being a man at age 13. And, you know, I, one, I never heard my mom ever admit weakness in her life. So for her to say that to me, I was like, wow, that's interesting. But I, I met a mentor at, at 14 uh, going to high school. Oh, really? 14? 14. Um, his name was Mr. Cox. And um, I was walking down the street from my high school. I went to Kenwood Academy in Hyde Park. Um, same community where the Obamas live, same community, Jesse Jackson, a number, mm. another uh, other middle-class black Americans, although we were not residents of Hyde Park, you know, my mama did what she needed to do to get me into a high school that was located in that community. I won't say no more about that, yeah, but across across. she did what she needed to do. Right. Um, so Hyde Park was a college preparatory school. One of the, one of the better schools in the city of Chicago. And I, you know, um, I, but I needed a job because I didn't want to sell drugs, right. you know, because um, I remember a, probably a year before um, my mother's boyfriend, who I didn't like at all. I didn't like this cat at all, um, like at all. Still don't like him today. <laughs> um, right. I never seen the cat in 30 years, but I don't like him. Um, but he forced me to try to sell drugs for him. And um, I, I kid you not, I know this sounds strange. But that day, the first time in my life, I heard the voice of God. And um, as I was about to make a drug, my first drug exchange, God said, but you'll be killing them. I heard that in my in my head. And, and it's the, the only thing I can equate it to was the voice of God, because I know that I set the drugs down and I walked home. And since since 13 years old, I've never been tempted to sell drugs in my life. Right. Right. But I, I think I think at that moment in my life at 13, if I had made the decision to sell drugs, that very first packet, I think my life would have took a totally different turn than where I went to now. I think, that it, you know, a lot of people talk about the, the fork in the road. That was my fork in the road. Um, it was on Marquette Street in Chicago. I remember exactly where it was. And um, I set the drugs down and I walked home. I was like in the days because I had never experienced something like that where, 
where nowadays I feel like, you know, God talks to me and he leads me and directs me. But as a 13 year old kid, I had never experienced yeah, what I now know as, as the voice or the influence of God. And I really do think that that one decision, it, it, it changed everything because probably four or five months later, I met Mr. Cox who was a black man, small, small business owner, moving people all around Chicago. He had a moving company, a no removal company, a landscaping company. And I learned all of that stuff. Wow. I, I was his number two all through high school. Um, many of my years in college, I would go back home and still work for him. And even to today, um, he is still my mentor. Mm. I, I consider him to be my father in many ways because yeah. he taught me everything that I know today about being a man. And, and it was that influence that, you know, in research, we call it, we call it other fathers, fathers who are not your fathers. Uh, we talk about the importance of mentoring for black male um, development and black male success. I don't know of a more influential factor in promoting a transformation of young black men to mature black men than black male mentoring and black and other fathering. And so that experience at 14 shaped me in ways that, um, you know, I, I really can't, I really thank God for that opportunity to meet him. And it was by chance. Right. So I'm walking down the street, just finished football practice. I know I need a job because you got to understand, I come from the poor part. I come from, I, I, I was still living on 47th street in Chicago but taking the bus all the way to Kenwood on 51st and Blackstone. Um, and we were crossing social class lines because everyone in my community, we, we had welfare. Everyone in this community, you know, their parents were college graduates and they had cars and the latest fashions and the nice gym shoes. And I was coming See, back in the day. We had these shoes called pro wings. Yes, sir. We had pro wings. I rocked pro wings. I was not very popular, <laughs> if you can imagine that. Um, and so I, I wanted to make money. I didn't want to sell drugs because I heard the voice of God, right? And wow. it led me down a different direction. So I earnestly wanted to make honest money, didn't know how, never had a job, nowhere ever explained to me how to find a job. I just walked down the street toward the movie theater up the street from the high school and um, was hoping to go apply for a job at the movie theater. And I'll say, okay, there's two ways to get there. I can walk straight down Blackstone. Or, you know, if I want to take my time, I can walk around the grocery store, then walk down, you know, 51st Street or 53rd Street. And um, I decided to keep walking straight. And as I kept walking straight, I saw this gentleman. Um, he was moving things, furnitures out of the, out of a home and loading them into a truck. And he looked at me and... Um, he said, he said, young man, you need a job. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I was just going to go apply for a job. He said, okay, uh, meet me after school. Um, I'll pick you up at Kenwood and you're going to work for me tomorrow. And, and I want to see how you do. And he said, all you're going to be doing is just moving furniture. You know, can you lift things? I said, yeah, I can lift things. I'm on a football team. He said, all right. So you just got to pay attention to what I do and do exactly what I tell you to, to say when I tell you to say it. Or, and, you know, do what I tell you to do when, right. when I tell you to do it. Because he was very specific. You know, when he was in these rich people's homes, he didn't like to scratch the walls. He didn't want to damage the furniture. Right. Man, he was very specific. He and and. Because he was old school, he didn't like no lip. He didn't like no talking back. 
Uh, you know what I'm saying? I see. <laughs> now, I'm a, I'm a kid from the south side of Chicago. Talking back is like what you brought up to do. Um, and I got beef with black men on top of that, right? Because my dad ain't around. The, right. the dude who tried to replace him was a psychopath. Um, and so, like, you know, I had I still had trouble with black men at that time. So I wasn't really trying to hear all those strict rules. I did my best day one to try to move stuff and all that stuff. But long story short, I got fired after my first day. I, I got fired. Yeah, I got fired. Oh, I see. And, and it was my attitude. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was so my it was attitude. I did the work. I yeah. can lift things and all that stuff and move things. And I was careful. But it was my attitude. You know what I'm saying? I was angry on the inside as a young man, and that came out. And so, um, you know, he fired me. But later that day, I called him back and I apologized. And, you know, I was, you know, I, I kind of just opened up a little bit, told him why I was struggling. Right. He said, you know what, young man, you know, I thought you did a good job. You seem like a nice young man. Um, I'm going to come meet your mom. So he came at my mom's and that gave me, he gave me my job back and, and I kept that job. No, until I, I left, until I left for college, right? Okay. Until I left for college, and so you know, um, that's kind of how I, I, I came up. Um, I was I was not a good student, though, right? Like people think, professor, you know, I, I've been blessed to publish articles that have been downloaded and read all over the world, right. every continent. Um, but I, I was a C minus student at Kenwood, man. Oh, really? I was a C minus student. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I have a reading disability. Even back in the day, I had, um, a speech disability. There were certain words I just could not say. I I would stutter a lot. And so they gave me speech um, therapy from like second to fifth grade, which helped me to, um, learn how to talk better. Right. So I was a C minus student. I, I just barely got out of school. I was happy to get out of school. I only went to college because I wanted to play football I had no idea how to go to college. I had, I didn't even know what college was beyond seeing like a different world, right. which was a, a show at my time about a group of black kids who went off to college. Right. Um, you know, it, it was a kind of a spinoff of the Cosby show, but um, I went to college, man. And um, um, I, I met this professor. I went to Western Illinois university in Macomb, Illinois. Don't ask me why. Um, I sent them my football tape. They said, hey, brother, come on, man. You, you can be on the football team. All I wanted to do was play football because I, I was I was small. I was quick. I, people told me I ran like Barry Sanders. So I said, yo, man, I'm going to I'm going to college. I'm going to play football. It was better than being in on, on the south side of Chicago, um, where at the time we had brothers dropping left and right or going to jail left and right. So I was like, uh-huh. my, my only option was get out of the city. And so I went to Western Illinois University and uh, walked on the football team, made the football team. What but position were you? Uh, what position were you playing? Tailback, 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 okay. tailback. Um, Remember your jersey number? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. My, my, my number is always twenty-two throughout high school and, and college. Yeah. Did you, did you pick that number or was it given to you? I think it. I think it was accidentally given to me uh, my sophomore year, okay. and. and I, I picked it, and because I became a starter, it just stuck with me. Oh, know? really? 20, yeah. 22. Yeah. yeah okay, okay. I was kind of the first Tariq Hill, putting up do signs as I was oh, really? blowing, yeah, blowing by people. <laughs> Not as fast as he was, but uh, at the time, I was pretty fast. Yeah. Um, 
going back to my, uh, you know, thank you for telling me about your generation and going to my. So, you know, of course, you know, nowadays in my generation, we pretty much have pretty much easy access. You know, if you want, like, if you wanted to have a job or looking for a job, Google's our best friend. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, just type in whatever job it is and you just apply and then you pretty much, nine times you could pretty much have the, the job. Yeah. And uh, if you don't really have an experience, we have a uh, chat GPT, <laughs> you know, That's true too. That's true. With that too. And, uh, you know, so basically pretty much everything that we pretty much want is pretty much a, a click away or such a way. It is. It is. And, you know, um, but at the same time, though, I um, you could tell me if I'm maybe I'm wrong because I'm still, you know, I'm still in the process of, you know, I know who I am. I'm still trying to figure out, like, I'm still trying to figure myself out, if that if that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Yes. And so, you know, now, sometimes I see when I go on campus, you know, I see different types of people, different types of guys, you know. Some are, you know, just, you know, casual, you know, wearing uh, joggers, you know, joggers, uh, Nike, uh, Nike Air Forces, you know, the regulars. And then, other side, I see guys that wear suits, ties, you know, look professional, like, oh man, I won't be like that, you know? And, but, there's a whole lot of casual guys and guys that don't wear, you know, uh, suits. For my, for my perspective, though, you know, and I feel like that's had to do with the fact that we're still, you know, figuring ourselves out. And, you know, and of course, I'm with everything going on. Everyone is like everywhere and nowhere. If that makes sense, yeah. yeah. So, like, how, what would you recommend for us guys, for us young black males who are trying to be successful but don't know what successful is or what it looks like? You know, because yeah. if we don't have like, like, uh, we don't have no mentor or a father figure or someone that we can look up to for guidance, how can we do? How can we, um? Go to that level. Yeah. If we never had that, yeah. Or what would you, basically, what would you recommend? Well, uh, one, that's a good question, D. I thought that's a, a really good question. Um, let me let me say a couple things. First, about brothers dressing differently, right? Okay. Uh, here's one of the things I want young brothers to understand: if they can wrap their minds around this, the secret to manhood is learning how to live your life from the inside out, not from the outside in. You know what I mean? So I can dress in a three-piece suit, be suited and booted, but be destroyed on the inside, right? My heart can be dark on the inside as a man. So our outward, our outward attire sometimes can camouflage the chaos that are, that's going on inside of our hearts, inside of our minds. So the most important thing for me is for brothers to live life good on the inside, get their heart, their mind, their souls right. And then it, it, your, your outward appearance will match whatever is inside of your soul. So the, the difference is not what we can see. The difference is hidden within the hearts of these young brothers and, and it's the hearts and minds and souls that we got to transform. Because if you can, if you can fix the heart, the body can do anything. Uh, Carter G. Woodson talked about um, in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, 1933, he talked about, if I can control the minds of a man, of a man, I can get his body to do anything. He said, if I can control your mind, I don't even have to tell you to go to the back door. That person whose mind is miseducated will go to the back by themselves, open the door 
and then enter on their own. And if they can, if the if a door is not in the back, they will carve a door just for their use. This is what Carter G. Woodson was talking about: hmm. the inner man, right? If our minds are miseducated, it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies because our bodies are going to follow follow the condition of our minds and our hearts. So part of it is trying to get young brothers to understand, yeah, it's cool for us to have the nice haircut, to wear the nice shoes, to have the clothes right, to get, to get the cars right. But all of that stuff is empty if our hearts and minds are not full. Right. So trying to get brothers to focus on the inner stuff. Now, here's the thing, how that ties to success. Success is something that the outward world defines. Right. How much money you make. What's your job? How many degrees you got? What? How big is your house? Right. Again, those things are superficial and they change with time. If you have a brother who focuses on the inner man, let me get my thoughts right. Let me get rid of anger and bitterness and and hatred in my heart. What that does is it releases creative energy. And what I know about black people, particularly black brothers, if we have a pure heart, we don't have anger and resentment and bitterness toward people. We can create almost anything. Right. Right. And so the, the, this whole secret to success is not about accomplishing outer things. Those things will come with time. If, if we have a if we if we work on the inner man, if we find peace in our hearts, if we find love and joy and things like that, right? Um, if 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 for example, I don't hate myself, mm. right? right? It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer and you hate yourself, you're going to destroy what you you're going to destroy your status because you you're going to do things that reflect hatefulness, right? So. Um, work on the inner man and all of that other stuff in time with some discipline and with some direction and support and mentorship, the other stuff would take care of itself. And, and so I'm saying that the standard of success for men that society has set up, man, you be a lawyer, you be a doctor, you be a garbage man, you work at a, at a fast food place, right? Like they, they, Society wants to box you in and say, as a man, you need to be just this thing. So one of the things I do is I research highly successful men throughout the country, black men throughout the country. Mm, black men specifically. Okay. Yeah. And what I find is the more successful, quote unquote, successful black men are, the more, the more things we do. Right. Uh-huh. The more successful we are, we into art, we into music. We into fashion, we into finances. We have multiple businesses because for me, society can't tell me who I am because I know who I am because I'm at peace with myself and I'm at peace with God on the inside. And I don't need society to tell me who I need to be because God tells me who I need to be. And God says to me, you could be a professor. You could be a business owner. You can be a writer. You can be a great father. You can be a great husband. You can be a great son right. and you can do all of that simultaneously. You can dress well, you can talk well, you can walk well, because all of that I believe is hidden inside of black men and we can do, we can be great every single day. So long as we commit ourselves to not looking at what society tells us we can be a pimp, a pusher, mm. you know, a pro athlete, right? They try to box us in, but 
But that's that's not who we're meant to be. Like find peace in your heart, and then that peace, that peace would give you direction. And with that proper direction, you get this power to become fully who you're meant to be. And I believe that that is that's what we see. If you think of LeBron James, right? If you think of Ice Cube, um, you think of President Obama. These brothers write, they open businesses, they speak. I mean, they're entrepreneurs. I believe that that the average black male, when they find themselves truly, they're meant to be multi-gifted, multi-talented um, entrepreneurs. Every yes. black, every black man, every single one of them. I just believe it. I'm sorry, it's a belief system. Yeah. Now I can believe that every black man is meant to be nothing. That's a belief system too. Mm. And there's some people who believe that. There's some people who believe that about themselves. But I prefer to believe that every black male is capable of greatness. But they have to make a decision. They have to make a decision. Du Bois, W.E. Du Bois talked about this decision. Either we strive for excellence or we make peace with mediocrity. Those are the two choices. You're either going right, that's excellence. You're going left, that's mediocrity. Listen, I'm on the right side. I'm going right. Black men meet equals excellence. Black men don't equal mediocrity. So we just have to make a choice. I believe every black male is fully capable of excellence, but it requires that you have peace in your heart. You got to make peace with God first and foremost, right? Um, so me as a Christian, that that is really what transformed me. Mm. I became a Christian my freshman year in high school. I went from being a C minus student to an A student. I kid you not. I went from being a person who was quiet, was timid, wouldn't speak, would, would not dare ever to try to lead anything. And in that one semester, I went from that to being the president of the Black Student Association, a peer mentor on the dean's list. Mm. That transformation, wow. because it transformed me on the inside, all of the hate and bitterness that abuse created in my heart. God was able to take it out. And when God it. took all that out, my brain, all of a sudden, I realized, whoa, I got all of this brain space. <laughs> and, and, and and although I read different from other people, right. my brain was able to memorize everything. Right. So I, I, I even today I read very, very slow. But everything that I read, my brain automatically compares and contrasts it. I, I my brain compares and contrasts everything that I read starting back in 1993, which I, that's the year I graduated high school. So, so my, my brain remembers everything. Yeah. So even when I'm reading for now, my brain is comparing it to things I learned in high school. So that's why I read so slow. My brain just works differently. So, but I embraced the way my brain worked and, and all of a sudden, man, I, I found yeah. that I wasn't dumb. I wasn't stupid. Yeah. I was actually just pretty dang on smart. Yeah, my brain just worked differently. Yeah. Um, not to uh to pick up what you just said. Uh, I've been having this thought process uh since I you know since I can remember. Um, you know, I always thought that you know the word normal, you know, like I I never thought it really exists. I just thought like that was just a word that we used, you know, saying like, oh, you know, why can't you just be normal? But I'd be like, what does normal look like? What's a person? What does a normal? How does a person normal look like? And how do they act? So basically, my question is, do you think the word like the word normal is this like the, like 
I wouldn't know more. Like, what's that? Like, I don't know if you know what I mean. I, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Because like, I personally don't. I believe that everybody does okay. things differently and, and, and view things differently. But to say that we're normal, it's like, what's that really, really mean? Yeah. So, so how would you answer that, sir? Um. So, you know, as as a trained social scientist, as a trained social scientist, the fields of social science, psychology, anthropology, education, sociology, history, part of that process of developing those sciences, even the biological sciences, they, they studied humans and societies and how humans think. And they discovered some typical patterns in age groups and genders um, they, we still haven't got good at understanding those typical patterns within cultural groups. That's harder to do, but there are some patterns. And so they, the social scientists introduced into human thought, the idea of normalcy, the typical human, but these are theories, right? Theories are not laws like the law of gravity. Uh-huh. Theories change from time to time. They change when we discover new things. So my personal theory is there's nothing normal about black men. There's nothing typical about us. There's nothing common about us. What I believe is that every black male expresses a unique individualized form of genius. I believe that. It now, it's, it's a belief system. My, my, my belief system is supported by my research evidence on black men. Uh-huh. I believe that every single black man, they're fully capable of expressing a multidimensional form of genius. But it's individualized. Like you may be great in video music production. production. That's not my, that's not what I do. Right. Uh-huh. But I can write poetry. Right. Um, you may be great at, um, mathematics right i'm good at mathematics too right uh-huh. you may be great at leadership i'm great at leadership too right you may be great in relationship building i'm great at relationship building right so every male i think have a individual unique set of giftedness and that's abnormal that's abnormal i don't believe that we should strive for normalcy i don't believe that because I, I i i oftentimes believe that if you think about what society expects of black men, what they expect, there's a set of stereotypes about black men that uh-huh. are normal because they're commonly accepted. Black men are not smart. Black men are athletes. Black men are violent. You know, think about that. Black uh-huh. men are hypersexual, right? Black men don't have morality. Those are the normal things that people believe about black men. Uh, so I don't believe any black man should strive for something like that. That's seen as normal. I believe every black man should strive for excellence. They should strive to be abnormal. Mm. <laughs> they <Right>. should <laughs> they should strive to break the trends and to and to stand out and to be different, to disrupt, right, um, and, and not be seen mm. as as part of the crowd. Not not to be a, a leader and not a mm. follower. And sometimes as a man, you have to be willing to stand alone. To stand mm. apart from the crowd. If the crowd, if the crowd is too normal, I can't get with that. Mm. Okay, okay. Uh, going back to what you just said, uh, leader, leadership, being a leader. 
um, that's something I noticed too in, in my generation where there's not a whole lot of leaders right now. There's a lot of followers, but not a whole lot of leaders. You know, I've now again, you could tell me if I'm wrong because again, I'm not, you know, too, you know, I'm still learning. But I, I feel like the days of Martin Luther King and the people in, you know, in, you know, um, and people like, uh, Malcolm X and whatnot, the people that were actually still does for something, that were willing to fight for something, are not, are not necessarily gone, but just, just under the radar. You know, I feel like if we were, if we were, if we were to be in the dining halls, for uh, where Michael Luther King was, you know, and you know, eating and whatnot, and you know, uh, basically, I don't feel like we we would be able to fight for for uh, to stand what we what we, we, we stand for. If that makes sense, you know, because I feel like now everybody's a little bit afraid or you know, uh, scared to 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 you know, I was just scared, but like just like now, I want to stand on what they mean, you know. Whereas me, you know, of course, uh, I personally, uh, I this is just me, of course, personally feel like that, you know, um, what what I everything that I say, I, I am, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I say I'm a I'm a Christian, right, right, right. Now that now that's cool, because that's easy to say, because you know you're a Christian, believe in God. Right. That, you know, that's cool. That's cute. That's you know that's common. Right, right. But then when it's tough for you to, then when it's tough for me to back up what I say, now that's what it's it separates me from the average person. Yeah, you yeah, know. Because yeah. and again in the book of Revelations, both um both rich and poor, you know, great and small, will all have a decision to make. You know, to either accept the mark of the beast or to not accept the mark of the beast. You know, but the okay. ones that do or do not will have to go untold, not untold, but to go to some tri- trials and hardships, you know, and I feel like in this generation right here, like there's not a whole lot of uh, ladies. So what is that? Why aren't there a whole lot of ladies? Well, uh, I, I, one, I, I think that I think um, we expect a lot of your generation. We do. Um, my generation, you're old enough to be my son. My son is 21. My daughter is 19. My other daughter is 15. Um, so people in my generation, we went through we went through a, a good clip. We had some issues, right? We had some issues, I think, caused a lot by federal policies, right. state policies. We, I believe, in, in my generation, we fought to overcome quite a bit. And as a result of that, we wanted to build homes where y'all didn't have to struggle like we did. Mm. And if you talk to people in my generation over and over and over again, there's a lot of overparenting. We overparented. Not realizing that the struggles that we experience as kids shaped us into the leaders who we are. Yeah. And so, but I, I would say you all have to give yourselves a little bit more credit as a generation. Um, when studies are done on generations and study, people have studied your generation all right now are are the smartest generation in the history of mankind you all are the most creative generation in the history of mankind you you are on target to be the wealthiest generation in the history of mankind the most educated generation in mankind you are already the most socially connected generation in mankind and you you are already are the most socially conscious and socially active generation 
in the history of mankind. So y'all have to give yourselves a little credit. However, okay. your time is coming, right? Your time is coming. Um, now, is, leadership is a weird thing because yeah. when we think of leaders as, okay, someone who's standing in front of the masses and speaking and inspiring and all those things. We think of President Obama, right? Something like that. But leadership is, is something that's great and small. Right. Just like you talked about, right. The rich and poor leadership, leadership is something that everyone is capable of. And here's the thing. Oh, really? Okay. Here's the thing. If you can't lead yourself as a man, you won't have any luck leading 10 men or a hundred or a thousand. Right. So before I was, before I was able to speak in front of the black student association back in my time, uh, which probably had 30 members, I had to first learn how to talk to myself and stop the negative speaking in my own heart because leadership requires that you have something good inside of you that you can pour out to other people. Right? So the, the the first step of leadership is self healing and self affirmation and self care. What that will empower you to do is when you get an opportunity to stand up and speak or to organize something, you're organizing it out of the goodness in your own heart and your own mind. And I think the one thing about your generation that, that I admire, but also, um, you know, I, I try to try to talk to young people about this is y'all want it and you want it now. Just like the Internet, you can click, you can search it, you can get it. You get on Amazon, you can order something right now. You go to McDonald's, you can order it your way. But life doesn't work that way. Wow. Life doesn't work that way. There's always going to be a time where you have to, where you have to plant a seed, water a seed. The seed needs time to grow. And then you can harvest and see the results of your labor. If, if I say anything to your generation is be patient, but as you're being patient, prepare yourself because you don't want to meet destiny. This, this time in the future where you have this possibility to do something great, but you're unprepared. You know what I mean? You, uh, you want to make sure that when the time comes and the opportunity comes and there's this meeting point that when that, when that meeting point meets at you, that you're the best version of yourself and it's time for you to lead. Uh, but leadership starts like, for example, okay, if you got two brothers who you hang out with, and you can't influence them to do anything positive. Now, nobody's going to be perfect, but if you can't influence them to do nothing positive, why are we expecting you to be able to lead 10,000 people? <laughs> Leadership is a weird thing that way, right? If you want to lead, you start small, right? You start by leading yourself, then leading your friends, then leading a small group, and then lead a, lead a bigger group, right? Start, start an organization like you. You have your, your, your podcasting company. Lead that well, right? You're actually leading right now. I was just going to ask you, no, like, no, how you, do I know if I'm even? Doc, when you showed me your downloads, Doc, you're down, you're, you're, you have downloads worldwide, Doc. That's a leader. Now, the key, the key to leadership is, is this principle. Influence grows over time. Your ability to influence and the amount of people that you can influence, it will grow over time, as long as you continue to make 
the investments. As long as you continue to show up, as long as you continue to be disciplined, you put out podcast after podcast, guest after guest, you make sure your product is tight. Your influence will grow over time, right? It's not going to be instantaneous. It will grow over time. Um, and if you just keep hanging in there, right? right. Um, you can, you can crack a boulder with just a consistent drop of water, crack a boulder. So I, I, you know, I, w- I want to encourage you and people in your generation to, to not look for the great things. Like what you're doing right now is phenomenal. You had an idea, executed the idea, overcame all obstacles, and you're persisting and you're finding success right now at what you're doing. At what you're doing right now, you're finding success. But that success will only grow over time as you get better at your craft and as as your reputation grows, right? So I think you're doing great, Doc. Just continue to invest in yourself because you're actually leading right now. You're leading right now. You're creating access to information and knowledge and understanding that that young people and your viewers and readers and subscribers, they have access. They have access to knowledge that they may not have had access to otherwise. So you're leading, you're educating, you're aspiring. Give yourself credit, Doc. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, too, um, what's it called? I try not to uh, do that because, you know, I'm still... When everyone says, man, why don't you give yourself a little credit here and there? I'm like, because, well, I feel like that's me taking the role of God. You know, you know I'm not saying like I am God, but like me taking away everything God has. Come on, the, bro. The, the, you, the, now, now, if you think you could take everything away God has, then, then you're. No, <laughs> then you, now what I meant, like. You, you give yourself too much. You no, know I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like the, the lessons that I learned over time, I feel like, oh, yeah, I did that all by myself, where it was really God that actually. He did indeed. God didn't do He did indeed do it. However, He trusted you with the idea, He trusted you with the resources, He, tr- he trusted you to build the relationships. Like, why did I come on your podcast? Because we have a relationship. He trusted you to do those things. Now, there's a difference between acknowledging what God has done in your life and then being arrogant and erasing God from your life. Yeah, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to go that late. <laughs> but the, it, you, you don't do. You don't bring God glory by by denying that He's actually used you in a wonderful way. Acknowledge the fact that God is working through you. And that way you acknowledge God's presence in his work in your life, right? Right. You're not replacing God by saying, you're not actually honoring God by, by, not, by not accepting that, that God is doing great things through you. That's not actually honoring God at all. Just give, give that some thought, right? Give that some thought. Like you're not honoring God. Like, for example, um, my, my story of becoming a, from a C-minus student to a professor if I told no one, how is that honoring God? There's a difference between arrogance and honoring God, right? Uh-huh. Being able to share the influence that God has had on your life and how he's transformed your life and how he's created opportunities for you, for you that brings glory, right? But, but you can bring glory to God, but don't confuse that with being arrogant and not being humble. Right. Being humble means I have to be able to give someone other than myself some credit for lifting me up. Like if I can't give nobody no credit, then that's prideful. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying, Doc. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I know, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, you're right. <laughs> um, to um, to pay back on the relationship, bro. What would um, what were some things that you may had to give up, or a leader, someone like someone, someone that wants to become a leader in 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 this generation, like myself? What are some things that I would have to give up because I would think that I would have to give up, okay. Because uh, I did, you know, I did, I, I did a little research on myself. Like, okay, what was something that I was willing to give up? Parties. I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. been there, done that. Sure, sure. Uh, fun. Don't really care about us. I'm getting paid. Okay. <laughs> okay. What else am I really to give up? And you know, I, I found out that I really, I really could, you know, pretty much give up almost any, anything. You know. So in my, in my basic one, max to you is. What are some things that I would have to give up if I want to be in the level of a Eric Thomas or like yourself or in the leadership position role where I can get people like myself a seat at the table? Okay, so let me say this. I, I, I think it's important for a leader to live a balanced life. Like I, I, I want to have fun every day. Okay, I want to have fun every day. Um, I, I want to socialize and hang out every day. But it's a matter of priorities, right? So you only got 24 hours in a day, but it depends on how you use it, right? Now, uh, here's what I would say in terms of what anyone would have to give up who wants to lead. You have to give up the inability to be bored. There's some people who don't want to be bored. I know. I know. You look at you look at me kind of sideways because this is. Oh. I'm, I'm giving you insights as as a leader, right? You gotta give up the fear of boredom, the inability to be bored, because that's really where leaders do their preparation work. When pe- other people are asleep and I'm reading, when other people are asleep and I'm strategizing, when other people are asleep. And I'm reading a book about leadership. When other people are asleep, I'm reorganizing my priorities. When other people give up because completing a task, a new vision plan is too difficult. I'll sit there 10 hours and knock it out. So, and it's because I learned to master mundane things. One of the keys to leadership is being able to master being bored for long periods of time. Nobody wants to hear that though, right? Nobody wants to hear that. But how did Dr. King do what he did? He spent some time alone mastering words. He spent some time alone mastering history, mastering theology, mastering public speaking, right? And then he submitted himself to leaders who trained him. Right. And then only then was he ready to take the stage and become the leader that we all know and love. Right. But there were periods of time where he endured extreme boredom. And so many of us need to have the phone in our hand. So many of us need to have the YouTube on or um, we, we need to have the TV on or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But at least for a couple hours of your day, you got to submit yourself to the boring task 
that will make you a public leader. That is the thing that sets me apart mm. is if there's a complex task that need to be finished, uh-huh. I can focus up for four straight days, 18 hours a day and knock it out. Right. Uh-huh. And I can do that at a moment's notice. And I think that's what separates. That's what separates me from, from some of other people who I see is, um, I have this ability to, to endure boredom, to endure mundane tasks because it's, it's when we learn to endure those mundane tasks, that's what prepares us to be magnificent. So when I have to do my lectures and do keynotes address and do public speaking and things like that, I can literally walk on a stage and talk because I spent so much time preparing. Right. Right. Cause it, it, because I spent so much time preparing, it's just not in my head is deep down in my heart. Right. It's right. deep down in my heart. And so I can talk with passion and conviction um, because I put the time in being bored. Just for example, studying scripture, studying scripture, you know, being quiet and studying scripture or reading one of my course textbooks. Right. Or writing an article for someone else to read. That stuff takes 20, 20, 20 hours of just silence, <laughs> just silence. And people want to lead, but people don't understand the sacrifices associated with leadership. Mm. Yes, there's this glamour side, but behind the glory, yeah. behind the glamour is a grind. There's a grind. I put in the work. I show up. You know, at, at PV's campus, like sometimes students are frustrated because faculty ain't around. I'm around nine to five every day. And sometimes I'm here to nine o'clock because I have night classes wow. and I'm running student organizations. But you can't lead when you're invisible. Mm. Guys show up. Okay, that's true. That's true. That's facts. So um, in that in that case, in order for us to get uh, our Rosen Sparks, our Michael X, our Eric Thomases, like myself, I want not. Um, should wouldn't you say that in in the relationship role that we would have to not worry about offending somebody or offending people and state and state the uh, the the truth? I think so. Um. But so, um, because that's where I look at, but I could just maybe water it. I could water it better, but that's what I see. I, I hear you. Um, the truth, the truth is a dangerous thing. Let's let's be specific of that. Yeah. Um, you know, we got nukes and weaponry around the world, but there's nothing that can cause more damage and destruction than the truth. It is one of the most powerful weapons known to humanity. So when, when you have the truth of a matter in your heart, in your head, cause you spent the time studying it, right? You were inspired by God simply because you know the truth. It doesn't give you the right to share that truth without wisdom. Right. Right. So here's the thing as a leader, I can be right or I can be effective. Right? So here's the thing. 
it's right to share the truth. It's right to share the truth. But how I share the truth is what makes me effective or not. And I prefer to be able to share the truth, but share it in a way that people can receive it, that can convict people to action, wow. rather than sharing the truth through anger or rage or frustration, right? Wow. Right. I share the, the truth. And this is what Dr. King perfected. He shared the truth through love, through understanding, through spirituality. But it was still the dang on truth. When you when you when you read his speeches and you you listen to his speeches and you read his books, his stuff was so solid in terms of truth. It's still truth today. It's still truth today. <laughs> when you read the miseducation of a Negro, 1933, it's still gospel. It's still truth today. When you actually read and study the teachings of Christ. That stuff is still fact and truth today. But the wisdom comes in that is I'm able to speak and communicate effectively to my audience. So if I'm talking to kindergartners, I can't share the same truth in the same way as if I'm talking to grown adult men. Right. Right. If I'm talking to grown adult men, I got to put a little hot sauce in it. Right. Right. <laughs> but but I'm going to take that hot sauce out if I'm talking to kindergartners. Right. Right. I'm, I'm going to bring it down to their level. Some it's still going to be 100 percent truth. Yeah. But I have to package it in a way that they can understand, receive and act on it. If they can't act on it, then then it's, then that means that it's not a flaw in them. If they right. can't act on it, it's a right. flaw in you yeah. as as a speaker or as a leader, because you didn't get quiet enough. So that you can figure out how to package the truth in a way that they can change their life with it. Mm. So the truth is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's probably the most dangerous thing in the world. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But I, I would say to people, don't ever stop sharing the truth, mm. but be conscious she, of the fact that you can be right or you can be effective. She, in that, in that case, should you also be prepared to also, you know, um, die by the truth in that regards. Like, you know, some people have died because they told the truth, and that's the reality. Is that is that something you should also ex- you know accept as, as that a, comes with it? As an African American, um, decide that you want to lead. You decide that you want to speak about equality and equity and and hope and truth and um, push America to perfect the experiment that is democracy then that's a reality. That is a reality. If, if you don't know American history, then you would think it's not a reality, but that is a reality. And nowadays people don't have to necessarily, um, the physical death is what we seen, well, what we saw back in the day. Wow. But nowadays you can be assassinated morally, culturally over social media. You could be counseled, mm. right? Same effect. Mm. It's, it's a type of lynching, right? Right. It's a type of lynching. So that comes with the territory. Sometimes if you, if you, if you're not doing anything effective, if you're not making any change, then you won't receive any criticism typically. Right. Yeah. And, and that's an indication that, that you're not doing much. much. Right. Yeah. But that's to be expected. If, if you use the weapon of truth, because truth is a weapon. 
um, you have to really be conscious of that, that there, there will always be those who will be offended by what you say. Uh-huh. Always. And either you stand on the truth because you know it's animated, you know it's born out of love, uh-huh. but it's hard to stand on truth when it's born out of hate. Mm. That's hard to stand on when it's born out of lies. That's hard to stand on. Yeah. So that's what it goes back to my original statement. Live life from the inside out, not from the outside in. Your inner heart is pure. The truth that you speak is pure. So um, last question before I, before I let you go. Could you, based on what you know, you've experienced in life than I have, you know, you've seen things that I haven't seen yet. In regards of the Michael X, the Ali's, um, the Eric Thomas's, like myself, that I want to be and whatnot, can you see the? Could you see those in re- reincarnations in this germ in my generation? Yeah, man. And so why? Yeah, and how? I, I think y'all doing good, man. Like I think y'all generation is going to be a great, 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 great generation. Here's why: you all have suffered. And suffering produces diamonds. Get it, Doc. Y'all was born, most of your generation was born after the year 2000. Uh, We had Y2K. We had um, the longest war in American history, right? We had 9-11. We had um, SARS, you know. We've had um, you all of the generation of the mass shooting. Now in America, we have a mass shooting almost every single day. Your generation has endured, suffered that. You all are suffering climate change. You you all have suffered through police brutality broadcast on your cell phones. No other generation have seen anything like that. You all have led Black Lives Matters, right? Like no one's seen this stuff. Your generation has endured... Um, multiple. Then y'all did COVID, Doc. <laughs> while while most of y'all was in middle school and high school, um, so your generation, because you all have paid y'all y'all paid your dues more so than any other generation, you all have endured challenges and hardships. And what I know is those challenges and, and hardships can do one or two things. Okay. It can make you bitter, or it can make you better. And y'all have to decide as a as a generation: Are we gonna get bitter, or are we gonna get better? Right? I said bitter, as in like oh. You can take it inside all the things y'all endured, and it can it can create hell hate. It can it can create self hate. Why am I continuing to go through this? Why 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 me? Why me? That's a reality, right? Or you can get better and say I'm going to use every single thing that I've encountered in my life push me forward to push me higher okay because the thing is this you right. can't lead you can't lead if you have not suffered mm. you can't lead because people can't relate to you that is true what what you gonna leave <laughs> that is true that's i should yeah, like you, bo- you you're in the penthouse your whole life what who who you gonna lead like mm. so your generation has been set up so that 10 years from now 20 years from now we should see a generation of leaders who can take this country and this world to another level. Mm. But because y'all have endured so much, y'all have to learn how to love yourselves. You really, really do. 
You have to learn to care for yourself. You really do. Because when you endure so much hardship, um, when you endure, and then on top of all the things y'all endure, unlike any generation, because of the, the internet and the, and the cell phone and the iPads and all this stuff, you all have access to human suffering. You have access to knowledge of human suffering like no other generation. We have a war going on. All we have wars going on all over the world, and y'all can see what's happening to people instantaneously uh-huh. while it's happening. Yeah. While bums are falling, people are testifying, right? Uh-huh. No other generation has, has had to endure something like that. Right? That can either break you or it can make you better. And it's gonna require that you all make peace with God on the inside. Because if y'all can do that as a generation, y'all are set up to transform the world because y'all have suffered greatly as young people. I, I just don't know. My generation, we struggled. My my parents' generation struggled. So there's, there's a difference between suffering and struggling. It's a, it's the same, Doc. It's the same. We suffered and struggled, right? But but the, the difference with y'all is y'all haven't hit a period of rest. Y'all haven't hit a period of rest. In my generation, 1992 or 93, the Rodney King beating was perhaps one of the most profound things we saw. A black man being beat on TV. Y'all seen, y'all, but but that was a recording. And the recording wasn't in high definition. You all see black men dying, black women dying on TV. Up close and personal. And, and y'all have seen that. Yeah. Before you all were really even in high school or middle school, y'all seen things like that. So that type of suffering, that type of exposure to human indignity can either make you callous. That is callous means you stop caring or it can make you care tremendously. My hope and prayer for your generation is that y'all realize your potential because I do believe y'all have all of the seeds inside you to create the type of country and world that we, we desperately all need. Okay. Just hang in there with y'all selves and, and, and don't be too hard on y'all selves. Okay. And with that being said, with that being said, if you could go back in time and change something about your life or about yourself, what would it be and why? I, I wouldn't change anything, doc. Okay. I wouldn't change anything. Um, I, if I could change anything, but I wouldn't. I, I, I will learn to be bolder, to be better earlier. Okay. You know, but I won't change anything. I, I, I'm okay with where, with where God has me. You okay. know, I'm okay with the work that I do. I'm, I'm content with the difference I'm able to make. You know what I mean? So yeah. I wouldn't change anything. You know, I, I wouldn't change anything at all. Okay. All, all the good, all the bad, they've worked together to shape me into the man that I am. And if I remove one of those one of those periods of my life of suffering, I don't know who I be. So I, I accept who I am. And okay. I'm good with that. Okay. Well, thank you, Mr. James, for coming through this wonderful episode of Next Gen Podcast, man. Uh, with that being said, what's the word? What's the advice of the day? Man, be great. Be great. <laughs> well, y'all heard it yourself, man. Thank you for tuning to on this episode, next gen episode of Next Gen Podcast, man. It's your boy Destiny, AK Griffith Kid, and we are out. Peace.
Make the summertime See you chilly Got no help but still I made it to And why from Philly Say they gruff Oh really I'm the GOAT No Billy Yo you all so silly Don't test me I am no one Cause the one above Bless me Selling CDs out the trunk Seven dollars what you want I can never fake the funk No you smell me Two plays boost lace That's the routine Block hot dodge cops That's the routine 